Are you or a loved one stuck or frozen in addiction recovery? Are you inspired to drop old and limiting beliefs about who you really are? Process your emotions, disarm the inner critic, and move from self-loathing to self-embracing with Melissa Armstrong Coaching. With online one-on-one coaching, small group coaching, and workshops, Melissa Armstrong can help you find the magic in the darkness. Check out Melissa Armstrong at www.strongarm.ca. That's www.strongarm.ca. It has been said that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's human connection. Here, we connect anonymously. This is Addicts in the Dark with Quick Nick. So we've reached the final episode of Addicts in the Dark Season 1. We've done so with the help of our sponsors at Bodhi Tree 21, formerly Banyan Tree 21, a residential addiction rehab located in the heart of Chiang Mai. Visit BodhiTree21.com. That's B-O-D-H-I Tree21.com for more. And Tune to the Moon Online Holistic Coaching. Check out ATTM247.com. That's ATTM as in Mary, 247.com. And finally, Melissa Armstrong Coaching. One-on-one addiction coaching, group coaching, and workshops. Go to strongarm.ca for more. All of our sponsors can also be found at our website, addictsinthedark.com. Perhaps the biggest thank you, though, goes to you, our listeners. 19 of which have exercised the bravery and vulnerability that it can take to tell your story. With that in mind, a preemptive thank you to Caller 20 for their story about addiction. Addicts in the dark. Hey, Nick. Yo. Um, I hear an echo in my headphones. Am I am I on speaker? Um, I just volume turn up. Hold on. There we go. Awesome. Thank you. So, for starters, thanks for calling. Absolutely. <clears throat> so this is pretty simple. Yeah, I, I think I've got the gist. Just no names, no locations, and a maximum of an hour. All right. So tell me your story about addiction. Um, I guess we'll start at the beginning. Uh, my addiction story, uh, you know, kind of starts at birth um, with addictions that weren't mine. Um, I was born in the Midwest, uh, addict, alcoholic parents. Uh, my father was a mill worker. My mom was a uh, she was going to school to be a therapist. You know, she had uh, real severe mental health issues, uh, bipolar one. Um, she got into drugs at a young age, uh, real dysfunctional, chaotic environment growing up, yelling, screaming, constant drama, abuse, extended family were all uh, alcoholics or addicts. So this was just normalized to me uh, from a very early age. Everyone kind of enabled and co-signed everybody else. Uh, it was just uh, chaos 24-7, 365. Um, I grew up in bars. Uh, it was just kind of the culture where I was from. Early in life, uh, when my parents were married, my father was kind of the problem. Everyone sort of focused on my father. Uh, My brother was born kind of an unexpected thing, and uh, shit got worse. My mother's drug habits uh, and alcohol uh, issues uh, just went nuclear 
you know, later on as uh, she tried to deal with my dad's alcoholism, my brother and I were kind of secondary to their addictions always. Uh, we were left to our own devices for the most part. Uh, it was neglected best, uh, abuse or worst. My parents split when I was in fourth grade. Uh, real traumatic divorce, angry, bitter, spiteful, violent. Uh, my mother and brother and I moved wherever we could. My mom moved us around a lot. You know, finally uh, got a few hours away um, so she could go to school and get her psych master's. Uh, she was a disaster at this time, but uh, she figured if she got her psych master's, uh, you know, everything would be cool. So she got dark real quick, uh, you know, as she descended into addiction herself. She used my brother and I to score stims and pills and uh, whatever else she uh, she could from doctors. Um, on top of what she was scoring herself, um, we're basically drug mules. Um, she had a uh, she had a bachelor's in psych and uh, you know knew all this stuff, so getting anything uh, you know was really easy for her. She told us what to say, um, what we needed to say, so she could get scripts. Um, she was drunk or high every minute of every day, and uh, had no business taking care of two kids. Um, I went to thirteen schools from first grade through high school. You know, sometimes because teachers started to notice shit and, uh, you know, would talk to CPS about it. Uh, it got hard to hide after a while, uh, mostly because she was manic and high, you know, constantly chasing some new insane adventure. No friends, no actual education continuity. Um, it was just, uh, you know, constant uh, moving around, uh, pretty much based on uh, my mom's whims and uh, what she wanted to do. She moved in uh, a lot of abusive scumbag boyfriends with us, uh, you know, who enabled her. And then abused us and uh, just kind of turned a blind eye to it because uh, she was uh, wrapped up in her own addiction. All of our child support money went up her nose. Um, I pretty much ended up raising my brother. I was only uh, four years older than him. Uh, Eventually, she got uh, one particularly scummy boyfriend uh, who fed her as many uh, drugs and bottles as she wanted and abused the shit out of both of us. Uh, She went in and out of psychosis pretty much on the daily, had seizures all the time hitting the floor. I ended up getting chastised one time and grounded uh, for calling an ambulance because it was too expensive. And we, we didn't want that shit getting out. Didn't want the fact that she was, uh, you know, a, a drug addicted disaster being on her records. She'd lock herself in a room for days, strung out, and not respond when we knock. You know, no matter how long we kept knocking, uh, there was just nothing. Um, eventually, she wound up in a psych ward for a very long, long stay. Um, my brother and I were left alone for months with her boyfriend only periodically coming by to uh, just drop off food, make sure we hadn't told anyone what was going on. Phone got disconnected after a while. Um, he was forging our child support and maintenance checks for himself, and then whatever was left uh, was bias food. Um, my mom eventually got out of the ward, and uh, you know she got even worse after that. Um, the same boyfriend beat me once. Cops came. He got ousted. Uh, two days later, he was back, and I was sent into respite uh, in Foster, told I was the problem. Um, and at this point, I'm, like, begging CPS, like, take us, begging respite, like, please get us out of here. Like, this is a nightmare. Please believe me. And sorry, just for context, how old are you at this point? Uh, this, I, it's hard for me to do ages, but I can do uh, like a new grade. It was uh, right around fifth, sixth grade. Got it. So fifth, sixth grade foster care um sorry so uh my brother ended up staying with her for the most part um she needed one kid at least so uh you know she could be like hey look i've still got this kid keep sending me child support um 
I got sent to live with my like end stage alcoholic dad who this whole time knew no nothing that was going on. He was so deep uh, deep in the bottle. Um, because, because again, you know, I was the problem. My mom was fine. My family bought this shit. Um, I remember getting driven three hours, uh, from her place to his place by my neighbor has grandparents who refused to say a word to me the entire time while I cried, like begging them to tell me why this was happening or what I did. And they left me on his doorstep with a backpack, right? And a cardboard box that contained all my clothes and worldly possessions, which wasn't much at that point, uh. We didn't, we didn't get a whole lot of stuff during his period. Um, he didn't get off work that day until eight hours later. He worked shift work. Um, and they didn't tell him I was coming. They were just kind of like, well, fuck it. He's your kid. We're just going to leave him here. You deal with it. Um, I sat outside on those steps uh, waiting for him to come home. And uh, he wasn't really happy to see that, uh, you know, that I was there either. Um, he was in the darkest depths of active alcoholism at that point. I had been for 20 years. Um, you know, he called me his roommate. And call me his son. I remember he said, "Hey, roommate." Um, you know, when uh, when uh, he got home and we started talking about how this was going to go, um, he went through a recovery program and got sober uh, the week I moved in, and didn't drink again after, as far as I know, for the rest of his life. Um, watching him do that was pretty incredible for me. Uh, been the first time any adult had really kind of done anything in my own interest. Um, I was always appreciative of that. Um, he wasn't a good father, but uh, at least he wasn't drinking, and I, I take it. Um, Would you say you're the reason he went on a path to recovery? He had uh, stacked a couple of DUIs at that point, um, and I think that, uh, you know, he he kind of saw it as, um, you know, all right, well, I've got this kid. I can't do anything about it. Um, I don't really have an option to continue drinking like this. I think the consequences got to a point where he was like, okay, I it doesn't make sense for me anymore. And, uh, like he, he, he came up with a bunch of reasons for it, but I think in, uh, in the back of his mind, he was like, all right, now it's time to actually be a dad for five minutes. So I always appreciated that from him, even though, uh, you know, he wasn't the best at it. At least he gave it a shot. And your mother, do you think based on her neglect that she was maybe narcissistic or, or just by nature selfish or was her neglect mainly the result of underlying issues? Um, I don't believe my mother was by nature selfish. She tried very hard to be a loving mother, but she was um, she was very ill. Um, you know, she she wasn't like a, a diet bipolar one case. Um, she had the full blown like psychosis. Um, you know, rapid cycle. Uh, she she didn't have um, the ability to be functional in society, and she needed to be functional because she decided to have kids. And she self-medicated because the medications didn't work. She drank stems, uppers, downers, uh, anything she could to try to keep going. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm bipolar myself. I know that that, that doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't ever end well. Um, as far as her being like, uh, like selfish, selfish, it's a, you know, addiction is selfish. Um, but I don't think it was her intent. I know that she was sick. For a long time, I was angry at her until I ended up having my own problems later in life, um, you know, which we'll get to. Um, and I kind of understood it, that it wasn't a choice. For a long time, I thought it was a choice for her. I think maybe the first few times it was a choice, but after that, it, it was just automatic. And so at this point, you're being abandoned, except in your case, really the first word that comes to mind is 
discarded. It's like they tried to dispose of you. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I, I just didn't understand. Um, I didn't understand what, uh, you know, the denial that my grandparents and the rest of the family had. I, I had no idea what was going on. All I knew was I was the problem because they kept telling me I was the problem. Um, I was uh, this unruly kid. I was making up all these lies. I was, you know, telling teachers and guidance counselors and, uh, you know, causing them to call CPS and all this other shit. So for me, I internalized that and really thought that I was the problem. Um, when I got to be an adult, I got a better perspective on, um, you know, what the real problem was. Didn't make it hurt any, any less. But yeah, it kind of went to a step beyond just abandonment. Um, it was like a willful choice to be like, all right, we've, we're not really interested in um, you know, taking care of you. We're going to shove you off. And, and they had demonized my father pretty heavily, um, despite my mother having you know more than enough of her own issues. Um, so they were making a decision to hand me over to, you know, a person that they really thought was a, a, pretty much the worst person in the world. And it built my father up as like this, this trash human. And, uh, you know, the fact that they were pushing me off on him was kind of indicative of, uh, you know, how much they care or how deep they were in their denial of everyone's situation. But it sounds as though things were better with your dad. Yeah. He, um, you know, he was, uh, he was able to get sober and, um, you know, it, uh, it actually allowed me, um, you know, a, a time like a time that wasn't just straight up chaos, drama, and nonsense. Um, one, I got to see him, uh, you know, clean up, which, uh, you know, was really cool. Um, you know, uh, we were able to develop a decent relationship. It was kind of an adult relationship. You didn't really know how to have a parental relationship at all. I'd take it. It was stable, at least. You know, there was food. Um, you know, uh, my needs were met. And I got to have like a, a high school experience that was, uh, you know, pretty normal. Or as normal it was going to get, um, you know, considering the background. Um, I played sports, chased girls, uh, really gave zero fucks about my education. And uh, my own addictive traits, um, my compulsive traits started to emerge in high school. Um, I really got kicked off into overdrive, uh, coping mechanisms, eating, sex, gaming, fighting, adrenaline, drama, anything. Um, you know, I was an addict long before I was a drug addict. I definitely had all those traits. Uh, anything that was uh, instant gratification, pleasure, um, I just did it into the ground at great excess. Um, even though, you know, I, I avoided drugs and alcohol at this point because I was afraid. Um, I did some ephedrine and caffeine pills, but I was afraid of becoming my parents. That was my greatest fear. Never wanted to become my mom and dad. I graduated high school. I had no money, no uh, fam support uh, for college, and I ended up, uh, you know, dating a, a woman that had severely mental, she was mentally damaged, uh, you know, borderline personality, but that was normalized to me. I just thought this was how people were, um, you know, growing up with my mother. So I, I, I was very blind to her issues. I just thought she was like quirky and interesting. And I was like, Oh, she sounds cool. You know, let's, uh, let's get engaged. And, um, we ended up moving to the big city versus where, uh, you know, I grew up where she was going to school. Um, uh, when we got to the city, uh, I got into a division of private sector law enforcement that I stayed in for the majority of my adult life. Um, I bounced into casino surveillance for a while, but it was always kind of in that same, uh, you know, that same line of work. She was a biochemist, and uh, I caught bad guys for a living, and everything looked real good on paper. I had left home at 18 with, like, nothing, no help, just, uh, like, a $1,200 car. 
And by 24, I had a, you know, a great career, promising career, cars, gorgeous two-story home, beautiful wife, great credit, bright future on paper. Everything looked good on paper. I was real good at managing appearances. Marriage was a sham, total sham. Um, we were both seriously emotionally damaged people. We're basically just playing house. The housing crash came. Um, it was right about that time. $40,000 fell off the value of our home. She went nuts. She couldn't deal with the stress, and she left me with the house and the mortgage. I just had one income in a house I couldn't afford. That was underwater by an enormous amount uh, in the crash market. Ended up short selling it in like 2008-ish, destroyed my credit. Lost all my money. Everything I had built went deep into debt. Life effectively was ruined for me, you know, in my early 20s after, uh, you know, I did all this work. Thought that I dug out of poverty and, uh, you know, made good. And, uh, you know, stuff that was beyond my control, um, you know, with the economy and the, uh, the housing crash. just kind of beat me back into the ground. And uh, I felt cheated. A lot of resentment towards, uh, you know, pretty much anything a person could have resentment towards. Um, I ended up hooking up with a, a high school ex of mine who was damaged goods too. Um, you know, she was going to uh, law school in a bigger city. So uh, I ran off with her to uh, start a new life. She was an addict and I didn't know what an addict was. Um, they just seemed like normal people to me because it had been so normalized to me by uh, my childhood and by my family. You know, how bad could she be? She was in law school. I mean, that that automatically makes you functional. And, uh, you know, I got high for the first time the day that I arrived in the city. Um, and then it was just weed. And, uh, you know, then she was like, uh, you know, do you want to try Adderall? And uh, that was that was a big uh, substance for her. And that, for me, was the first hook. You know, weed was great. Adderall was, this was the shit I needed to live. Um, this was the answer. I was in active addiction instantaneously from that moment onward. And this is where addiction took me. I remember staying up for 24 hours on my first dose and knowing that this was going to be the rest of my life, no matter what I had to do in order to get it. Uh, it felt like um, it felt like the cure. It felt like uh, I was medicating me, fixing me. So off to uh, you know get a script. I went. Um, I passed the big psych department multi-panel test in interview for ADHD and got a diagnosis. Then got a script. Um, the big one. Um, it was easy. Two hours after I got out of the appointment um, that I needed to get the script after the eval, uh, you know, my girlfriend was showing me how to crush and snort it, and away we went. I kept upping my Adderall, uh, you know, by working doctors. I learned how to do that early, early in life, and uh, we started to move on to harder drugs. Um, weekends were alcohol, cocaine, Adderall, weed, uh, whatever we we had on hand uh, to sleep with all the uppers. Um, Adderall was far and away the heavy. Seemed more manageable than cocaine. Uh, my health insurance paid for it. We bought more as we needed it. Her cousin was already like a big high-profile lawyer um, who was already in practice. So we hung out with a lot of uh, socialites in the city um, and big fancy apartments with gorgeous views of the city skyline, doing blow and Adderall and drinking and uh, you know hitting clubs we couldn't afford, partying and just like living it up lifestyle was addictive in and above itself and everything was excess you know sex drugs alcohol chain smoking clubs concert never sleeping never slowing down and it just kept progressing um you know there was never enough there was always a constant move 
to more. It was always more and more and more. You know, both of us were addicts, and we fed off of each other in like this uh, this death spiral. We had no awareness of this because you know we were both uh, lit all the time. But um, you know, for me, uh, I did become just as addicted to the lifestyle as I was to drugs in it. And self destruction was really attractive to me. It was sexy to me. I began to romanticize it. I knew it was going on. My use was very deliberate. I, I, I had no misgivings. I knew what the fucking 27 Club was. I knew what I was getting into. I knew what the consequences were. I didn't care. You know, uh, it was self-destruction was attractive to me, and it was also attractive to me and others, um, and my significant other, and other people around me. So I felt like I got the childhood that I not, never got to have as a kid, running around and, um, you know, partying and all this shit. Um I felt like I was owed this. I was entitled. Like I had earned this with uh, my suffering when I was younger. This was my turn to enjoy life and drugs and this uh, drug lifestyle were the mechanism I required to maintain it. I felt like my past was kind of like this burden of knowledge, right? And knowledge of how bad life was and how bad people were and like this nihilistic approach to the world. Um, all these traumas and experience I went through. Um, I remember thinking to myself that drugs were a cure for knowledge. I was attempting to find a cure for knowledge. Um, you know, she passed the bar and got a got a job in big law, um, which is just like a, a drug festival, drug and alcohol festival, masquerading itself as a very high paying career. Um, so we were well funded and uh, that, that didn't help anything. I was in uh, fairly deep with stems at this point. And it developed uh, a pretty serious pornography and sex addiction, uh, addiction that paired really well with them. Uh, they fed into each other. Chemsex was a huge component of my years in active addiction, kept me in active addiction longer. I was so selfish and self-centered and obsessed with sex and myself and my own pleasure that I pressured uh, you know, my girlfriend um, you know, into getting plastic surgery to essentially look like a porn star. Um, she has scars on her body today that serve as a reminder of the hell that I put this woman through. Uh, that's an amends that I can never make, uh, no matter what I do. Uh, moved on up in the world um, financially and in our careers. I traveled a lot for work, and that was just like an endless drug fever dream of airport terminals, infidelity, trashed hotel rooms. Uh, it was a mess. Um, cracks started to show in our relationship and what we presented externally and our lives started to become real unmanageable real quick like who forgot to pay the electric bill and shit we were bringing in big money and we couldn't we couldn't remember to pay our fucking bills i was using drugs to control her and she was using sex to get drugs from me and her outsized gigantic salary to buy everything i didn't have or couldn't get i started to see that things were getting fucked up but I was in denial. I was in self-deception, um, you know, uh, in my own addiction. So it was very difficult for me to uh, perceive reality for what it was. But I was starting to realize something was fucked. It got even more dysfunctional when I started having um, really strange health symptoms. Um, I was getting tired, slowing down, couldn't keep up with her. I was struggling to keep up with work and uh, our lifestyle. I started telling her to slow down, mostly because I couldn't catch up. Not, not in the interest of anyone's health. But because uh, I was afraid um, I was going to get left behind here. Started driving drunk, um, you know, she did. And uh, 
I stopped feeding her as many pills thinking, you know, oh, I could control this. I could make it better. Um, well, I was still using the same amount. Um, and I tried to maintain control of her that way. Control was a very common theme for me. I didn't want to get abandoned because of my childhood. I thought I could hold on to things, um, you know, if I threw enough drugs or money or uh, uh, placating or manipulation at them, and it worked. Meanwhile, with my health, doctors couldn't tell me what was wrong with me. Um, I was coughing up blood. I couldn't breathe. My hands were numb. Legs were numb. My vision was all fucked up. I was lightheaded. I was getting tired too easy. I never disclosed my drug use to any doctors, and uh, they didn't look very hard for anything serious because I was young. Uh, she thought I was a hypochondriac, and the doctors that I was seeing agreed with her. They told me, it's mental health shit. You're, you're fine. Stop going to the ER. You know, you're crazy. So like mid-20s, I'm having all of these, uh, these health issues, and no one could tell me why. Um, you know, she ended up leaving me um, in, a, in a very, very abrupt fashion um, after I had said that, you know, things are kind of getting off the rails here. I think, uh, I think I'm going to go to your parents uh, you know, and tell them what's going on so she would get some help. Her, not me. I was great. I'm doing well. I was saving her um, by focusing on her problems instead of mine. So she, she breaks up with me. We'd known each other since preschool. Um, we grew up together, and that was the end. I remember doing lines off of a photo of us together for a long time after that, some uh, a real dramatic shit. I had a hard time with that breakup um, because it had symbolized for me, you know, um, an out, an escape, like a fairy tale. I thought it was going to be like a movie. Oh, you know, we're going to have this great life. And that just shattered this whole, uh, this idea of idealistic love, television love that um, I had developed in place of uh, real love growing up without any kind of model for what love was. Um, I was never taught love in that whole uh, addiction mess. So I got it from TV. I got it from books. And I thought that's how it worked. And uh, when she split from me, I realized real quick that, that that just wasn't how it worked. I was I was destroyed by it. Um, I was in bad shape. I had nowhere to go in terms of living. Um, so I ended up hooking up with a married woman uh, and fed her pills and lied to her until she said that she loved me. I liked her apartment a lot. So we kicked her husband out of it. And uh, then it was my apartment. Uh, she got a divorce because I wanted her to. I had her go get more scripts of different stuff to add to everything. I was getting everywhere, um, scripts, buying it. Uh, we had a metric ton of stuff that was coming in monthly from different sources, and I, I just went off the rails, you know, trying to cope with the loss of the previous relationship. And, uh, you know, I, I just fell deeper into addiction. And so did she, um, you know, she, she wasn't using anything when I met her and, uh, you know, by, uh, by the end she was, uh, you know, it was, it was like some vampire shit. Um, you know, I introduced her to, uh, drugs the same way that my ex had introduced me and, uh, you know, just, um, you know, transferred, uh, transferred this wonderful, uh, lifestyle onto her. Um, and then she began to suffer it the same way I did. She is still an active addiction to this day. Chemsex, it refers to a, a subculture of recreational drug users, but means something different to everyone, I guess. For you, can you describe chemsex? Absolutely. Chemsex for me was, um, you know, a combination of, you know, speed, amphetamines, coke. 
um, uppers. Uh, you know, um, it's it's common uh, in my experience uh, with others. You know, to combine this stuff with sex, and it becomes, you know, it becomes two addictions that are intertwined. Uppers, especially, take a sexual experience and chemically alter it to make it straight euphoria on top of just regular sex. And regular sex is no longer good enough. The bar becomes much higher. And uh, one ends up chasing, you know, more and more intense experiences as they become more addicted to the substance and also more addictive to um, higher risk or sex. Um, there's open-mindedness to it. Um, there's uh, a component of people getting out of themselves and, um, you know, experiencing other things. But the darker side to chem sex is so much worse. And for me personally, that, that chem sex connection, I became addicted to the person. I became addicted to the substance with the person and the sex. And I could no longer differentiate between the person, the drugs, the sex. I thought those three things combined to make love. And that was not the case. These were, these were artificial feelings you know, caused by the drugs that had nothing to do with um, authentic love, authentic anything. Uh, as the drugs started to lose efficacy, you know, cracks started to show, like this didn't seem right. The drugs started to wear off. So we did more drugs to try to maintain the connection and, um, you know, the enjoyment from chem sex. And that accelerated, um, you know, my descent because not only did I want to, uh, you know, get euphoria and, um, you know, get high from the drugs just because they were drugs. I also wanted to, um, you know, keep getting the high from the sex and uh, those played into each other. And it was uh, it was dark because it wasn't just my um, you know my act of addiction harming me. It was taking another person for the ride too. They were, you know, um, you know maybe they were an addict, maybe they weren't. Um, depending on who it was, it was a theme in all of my romantic relationships. Me bringing sex uh, and drugs into it uh, together, but it uh, it wasn't healthy by any stretch of the imagination, and it kept me in active addiction longer because uh, I I could no longer have normal sex. Even after I uh, got clean to this day, I struggle with intimacy and sex and any kind of, uh, you know, intimate relationship, even emotionally intimate without drugs. It's been an ongoing process for me. And uh, boys have taken a lot longer to uh, deal with um, than just regular substance abuse. And to pick up where you left off, you have a new girlfriend and you're both falling deeper into addiction. And you still have your health issues. Yeah. So uh, a few months later, I uh, I ended up collapsing at work after all of these health problems started to stack up. And um, I went to the ER. They did a chest x-ray and they found a much water in my chest. They did an echocardiogram, which is like an ultrasound of your, your heart, the cardiovascular system. And they told me that I had congestive heart failure and was very sick. I was 27 years old. Congestive heart failure does not happen to people that young. They figured that it was a virus that had attacked my heart at some point and caused a bunch of, uh, you know, very serious damage. And uh, congestive heart failure and these more advanced heart conditions hide real well in young people. Um, and that's why nobody could find it until I bottomed out. Because I hadn't disclosed my drug history, they, they didn't look for anything like that. They didn't look for heart problems because I was young and healthy. Like, why would you look for heart problems? Um, only when I completely hit bottom and 
they had to look for some more advanced you know, medical conditions. Did they find it? And in reality, it wasn't a virus. This was caused entirely by Adderall abuse. I didn't tell anyone about the substance abuse, and uh, I went with the virus story. They gave me that virus story, and um, what was worse than them uh, having that story was uh, I was so deep in my disease and denial, I believed that it was a virus, despite the fact that every shred of evidence was I used my Wayne to congest the heart failure. The only thing that I was worried about when I was in the hospital was how this was going to impact my ability to get farm seed and other pills, or if I wouldn't be able to use other drugs anymore. This was the only thought in my head. I remember feeling relieved and laughing as they showed me my heart on this monitor in the ER because I, was, I finally had a reason for why I was sick. And I could blame it on something other than drugs. Um, I could blame it on something other than being a hypochondriac. I remember asking a nurse if I could have my Adderall. You know, I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm ADHD, I have mental health stuff. Why can't I have Adderall? I'm in the hospital for heart failure. And she told me I'd never be able to have it again because my heart was fucked. And I threw a tantrum like a child in the hospital, like, a, like an addict. Um, I didn't grasp the seriousness of my situation. And the only thing I could think about was, you know, getting out of the hospital so I could get back to drugs. I could get back to this shit that I was using. And uh, all this stuff they were telling me about my health uh, just bounced right off me. I was put in the cardiac ICU, and I was there for months. I was tested. I had a swan cath attached to my neck. I got poked and prodded and catheterized and tested and uh, put through a million and one different procedures to figure out the extent of how sick I was. I was told that I needed a heart transplant that I wouldn't be getting because I didn't meet an enormous amount of criteria um, that one needs to get a transplant. So I just had no shot. I was told that I had maybe six months to live. The medications that uh, they were putting on me, these diuretics, to get the edema, the retained water uh, off my body from my heart function being fucked, uh, they weren't working. And um, my heart function was low. Like 12%. Uh, it's, it's called an EF, and mine was 12. And uh, that's low. That's you're, you're dying low. That's like you're 100 years old, and your heart is garbage low. My entire body was shutting down from my heart being too large and busted up. My left ventricle was shot to get blood anywhere efficiently, kidneys, other organs. They pumped more and more meds into me until eventually they got the water off me. I had been carrying over 40 pounds of retained water in my chest and legs for months, maybe longer. They don't know. They said that I've been sick for a very long time. The whole time that my heart had been getting worse, I kept pounding Adderall and other drugs to chase the fatigue so I could keep working and keep running and keep functioning and keep using and not interrupt my life. I was actively killing myself to keep my life going. I was me and my disease, you know, refusing to get honest with medical professionals about where I was at, and that's what it cost. I had one visitor the entire time I was in the hospital, and it was the girl that I was staying with in that apartment. I got the divorce. She brought me pills, so I was still able to use while I was in the hospital. And uh, she was too fucked up herself to really know what was going on. My family didn't return any calls. Uh, my family was pretty small. There weren't that many calls for me to make. I didn't expect any return calls anyway. I remember overhearing nurses and doctors talking about me, like wondering how I had no visitors or calls or people that were 
are worried about me, why I refuse to talk to anyone, and why this has happened to someone so young. They were more sad and emotional about it than I was. One of the night nurses like cried when she read my chart. I didn't understand why. I was still emotionally dead. And when the chaplain or the priest or clergy or whatever they called them in the hospital tried to come talk to me, threw them out of my room. I grew up Catholic. Um, I wasn't Catholic anymore, that's for sure. The doctors came in and tried to talk to me. I told them to leave, too. I, I didn't want it. I didn't want to hear it. Um, they stabilized me on meds. I beat projections, and my condition started to improve. Um, they said that I would never work again regardless, and I'd need to be on disability for life. And while I was, like, okay and stable now, I was going to die soon because my heart was too badly damaged, and I, the transplant wasn't an option. I didn't fit that criteria. So I was dying. I knew that I was dying, and I just didn't care anymore. If I was going to die, I was going to go out with a bang. I had no incentive to get clean. I'm going to die anyway. The last thing I'm going to do is, like, fucking die sober, die clean. Throughout this entire process, never once did I have even the slightest thought of getting clean, that I was an addict, or that drug use was the problem. When I got out of the ICU, the first thing I did when I got into the car was use in the hospital parking lot. I got into harder drugs, lots of them, everything that was an IV, didn't matter what it was. I'd always been afraid of needles. Uh, that was the only thing that kept me from, uh, you know, IV opiates and, um, you know, uh, harder shit. Adderall wasn't on the menu anymore um, in the same amounts, at least from my scripts. So I did other stimulant drugs um, instead or bought, uh, you know, what I could when I could get it. The woman I was with and I, uh, we used ourselves into oblivion. I was I was on that, that suicide trip by drugs. She just went with me. Somehow I made it back to work in a reduced role as my heart improved. Crazy thing was, is as I got deeper into addiction at this period, uh, I didn't do any damage to my heart as I was using more serious drugs, which was like a bad fucking joke. My heart was actually improving during this period. So when that girl and I burnt out together, um, you know, leaving the apartment that I liked so much before, it was so nice, looking like a trap house by the time we were done with it, I found another woman and did the same shit. I hurt her. I used her. I manipulated her. Um, she enabled me. But another woman, uh, you know, I did the same shit again. Uh, my romantic partners suffered my addiction worse than I or anyone else did by far. I found a cardiologist who moonlit as a primary care provider and convinced him uh, to give me Max Max Adderall scripts, despite the fact that I had congestive heart failure. Then another woman, um, a nurse this time, who liked drugs, she had an unlimited stockpile of stolen hospital drugs over the years. I told her that I had heart failure on like our first or second date. She didn't blink. The shit was fucking perfect. Thought I hit the jackpot. She'd take care of me and be numb to having a dying person as a boyfriend. Um, I wouldn't have to take care of myself because I had a nurse girlfriend and maybe she'd keep me alive longer. Plus, she had an enormous amount of drugs. We got a place together and began using together pretty hard. Um, I used her. I exploited her. Uh, I was abusive. I was controlling. I was manipulative, selfish. I was a straight-up disaster, and she suffered probably worse than anybody. I had her get tens of thousands of dollars from her family that we spent on drugs and shit we couldn't afford because of drugs. And 
you know, just the disaster life that we were living, you know, a little fucked up. You know, we burned through a lot of money living in the city because it was expensive. Both of us made okay money, but uh, it was never enough. I ended up moving an old using lady friend of mine uh, in to our apartment that had been escorting in New York because I wanted to, quote, unquote, help her. Really what I wanted was someone else to have sex with and figure that she could get me more drugs. Just another fucking chem sex component. But that was when I really started to spiral out bad, as if it hadn't been bad before it got worse. I went on FMLA from work, and uh, they knew that something was fucked up. I was really starting to lose my sanity. Uh, I thought everyone was out to get me. People were following me. I went in and out of uh, psychosis constantly, stopped sleeping, wound up throwing uh, my escort friend out of our place from stealing drugs from me, not having sex with me. I remember tossing her stuff in the garbage bags and throwing them to her on the sidewalk while she cried and told me that she had nowhere else to go a couple of weeks before Christmas. I tried to go back to work and wound up having a very public uh, nervous breakdown amid stimulant psychosis and just not being able to even pretend to be functional anymore. I took a lot of pride in my career. I was a workaholic. Um, a lot of the early uh, desire to use stimulants was because I wanted to keep up at work. I wanted to get that validation professionally. And, you know, that continued. But at that point, it wasn't about it wasn't about doing well at work. It was about keeping my job so I could keep buying drugs. Um, so I still had the ability to maintain this lifestyle. And my ability to function in any professional capacity just went out the window. The nervous breakdown I had was everyone knowing that I was off my fucking rocker except me. I was the only one who still thought it was a secret. And um, I remember thinking that um, everyone was trying to send me to prison. I was, I was in psychosis. It was just fucking nuts. Um, that everyone was trying to bust me or blame me, like persecution complex stuff, paranoid delusions. And you know, my director, he was in recovery himself because he, he had a better understanding of what was going on than everyone else. And he kind of started to push me in the direction of um, you know, getting the fuck out of this job before he had to make some decisions for me uh, in terms of legal consequences. And I ended up resigning, basically forced into resignation so I could still get COBRA healthcare benefits. They bent over backwards, you know, as a kindness to me to give me the opportunity to resign because I still didn't think that I was that fucked up. I was still in denial about it. They were not in denial. They knew I was fucked. They were trying to help me, and I didn't understand uh, what they were doing. So that's how my career ended. And was that your rock bottom? One would think so, but no. It, uh, it got worse for a while. Like, all, all that did was, um, you know, make me more depressed. You know, put me in a, you know, in a spot where... Um, where I felt sorry for myself. It got me into self pity. You know, I didn't have I didn't have that that thing I could point to and be like, "Look, I'm a functional member of society. Everything is okay." And uh, on the home front, uh, my girlfriend and I we ran out of money. We couldn't afford our apartment. Couldn't afford anything. Her parents uh, offered to move us in with them. We really didn't have a choice at that point. We were out of options. Um, 
may have been like two years of just complete isolation in our apartment where I just used and didn't leave. For a while, I would uh, I would step outside to have a cigarette, and I remember the sun hurt. I could like it was hard for me to open my eyes in the sun because I was so accustomed to living in the dark of our apartment, and um, I eventually became too paranoid to even do that. Uh, and just started smoking uh, inside. Some, we didn't get our security deposit back, I'll tell you that much. I knew that if we moved in with our parents, shit was going to change. It would have to be different. I couldn't do what I was doing anymore. So I tried to use myself to death in kind of the last days of um, our time in our own place. It didn't work. I didn't die. I wasn't even capable of doing enough drugs to die at that point. We ended up moving into her parents' basement, but it didn't take long for them to realize that uh, my problems were just heart, heart condition and some mental health issues fucking me up. My farm sources were uh, pretty much gone at that point. I tried. We were out in the suburbs uh, without a plug, and um, her retired parents uh, were living right above us. And I was out of my fucking mind insane at this point. I started stealing pain meds from her parents because I couldn't get anything else. Um, so I took whatever medication I could get from them um, without them noticing. Oh, I thought they wouldn't notice. I don't know. And we started buying shit off her brother and uh, sister-in-law. On New Year's Eve of 2016, I'm 32 years old. Um, my girlfriend and I, we started the party downstairs to celebrate New Year's. She did a lot of uppers like an insane amount at my urging, my request. I was going to be like a chem sex party. And um, she went nuts, like overdose, overamp. She just started screaming. She couldn't stop. Um, I tried to get her to be quiet. She wouldn't. She just kept screaming, kept screaming. I remember the screaming. I even hear it like now. Um, Her dad came downstairs, looked at her, looked at me, made eye contact with me. And I have never seen that level of disgust and hate in another person as when he looked at me in that moment. Like, he knew the score then. Like, he knew what was going on. I was hurting his daughter. Um, I went upstairs to try to do, like, damage control and smooth this over, right? Like, I got this. And her mother hugged me. I felt like the worst human being on earth. I remember that hug. How horrible it made me feel because here was this person showing me compassion, letting me stay in their house and hugging me even though what, what was going on. I'll never forget that hug. I came up with some nonsense story blaming uh, my girlfriend for what happened and trying to make it seem like random panic attack, uh, her mental health issues getting worse, and not just a fucking stim overdose that uh, you know I you know encouraged her to do Agdaron to do. I realized that. I was killing this woman that I was supposedly uh, in love with. Um, I was I was doing the same thing to her that I did to myself. And I couldn't do this anymore. I was physically, mentally, spiritually, financially, emotionally broken and bankrupt. You know, I remember just like on my knees for the first time since uh, I was a kid in church. I cried mercy. I legitimately needed uh, psych meds. I'm dual diagnosis. I have real psych issues, uh, aside from fucking addiction. So I entered an IOP program that did medication management. Unfortunately, they also drug tested me. 
So I had to kick the shit I was still doing, and it uh, wasn't pretty. I was on an enormous amount of uh, meds that that I liked, that I talked uh, different docs into giving me before. And uh, they were like, this this, <laughs> this is a fucking attic chart. This isn't a real chart. So they cut all the meds I was on, um, like cold turkey for most of it, down to nothing to start over from scratch. And uh, I pretty much went psychotic while I was in this IOP. I was out of my mind. So it was five days a week for hours, uh, groups, um, CBT, like listening to this stuff. I sweated bullets and couldn't sit still on a chair, losing my mind, um, withdrawing from all this shit. In this IOP, they suggested that I start going through a recovery program. That was the first miracle that happened in my life. I told my girlfriend's family that I'd stolen uh, drugs from them, that I was an addict, and that I was going to get some help. They gave me pretty much one chance to get my shit together. To this day, I don't know why they let me stay. I wouldn't have. At that point, I had nowhere else to go and would have been homeless if they didn't let me keep staying there. And if I hadn't gotten clean, I would have been on the street real quick. My last substance use was alcohol on January 31st, 2017. I went to my first recovery meeting on February 1st, 2017 at 32 years old. I said I was an addict for the first time that night. I asked for help for the first time that night in over a decade of active addiction. I cried in that room and uh, I surrendered. I have not used drugs or drank alcohol since that day. Five years, six months, five days as of today. I never relapsed. This has nothing to do with me. I don't have anything to do with it. All I did was show up and did most of what they told me to do uh, best I could. This was all program. My best thinking got me there. It, it had nothing to do with me. It was, uh, it was this program. I had used every single day for over a decade, like 4,000 plus consecutive days. Even in the hospital, I found ways to use without making even the slightest effort to stop or wanting to stop or thinking I needed to stop. No one told me to stop because I wouldn't allow people into my life that would have told me to stop or that I had a problem. Those people were not allowed anywhere near me. The program took a case as sick as me and got me clean and kept me clean and uh, they saved my life. Approximately 900 of these 2013 days have been spent in isolation due to the pandemic and being high risk uh, because of my heart condition. No in-person meetings, no social interaction. Addicts die in isolation, and they definitely don't stay clean there. A ramshackle online version of this program, done entirely through my phone, has kept me clean. In 2018, uh, my mom died from a benzo seizure. And she died as she lived, using. Um, by that point, there wasn't much left of her. I had detached for the most part, but um, she got to see me clean. And that was very important to me. Um, I was powerless over her disease and her addiction. I couldn't talk her out of or into anything. I can't talk anyone out of her into anything in addiction. I'm not that powerful. But, um, yeah, she, uh, she died from this shit. She never tried to get clean or enter recovery. Uh, my father stayed sober as far as I know, um, but we haven't talked or spoken in a very long time. 
I'm dual diagnosis and the mental health side of things for me is a daily struggle. I don't have street drugs and all this other stuff to medicate me anymore. I'm kind of at the mercy of, you know, what's available and um, it's tough. I've made the best of it though. Um, I'm grateful to be stable today. I'm grateful to have, you know, clarity to be the same person every day. Um, you know, despite my mental health issues, even clean, I am a deeply flawed human, um, just doing the best I can to be decent. After a long time of not being decent, not being good at all. My heart function, which somehow had improved during my uh, post-diagnosis vendor, it collapsed again after I'd been clean for about two years. I had to go on disability, and I'm severely limited in uh, general life functions. Not a transplant candidate still, and I've been told I have about two to three years left to live. My hope that when they put me into the ground is that uh, I'll go clean. And like maybe some people will actually show up at my funeral. There wasn't anyone that was showing up five years ago. When I help others, um, I keep myself clean. It's not all virtue and altruism. Feels good. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, imagine that helping other people and not being a selfish fucking active addict feels good. My recovery depends on service to others. I'm with that same nurse that I talked about earlier, and we just somehow celebrated eight years together for better or for worse, a lot of worse, um, a little bit of better. Um, why she puts up with me, I have no idea. Her family has adopted me. They love me today. I still don't understand why. Boy, is it difficult to accept love from them after everything that happened. But they're my family now. First family I ever had. That's a fucking miracle. The way I see it, I'm the luckiest man alive. I've got nothing to feel bad about. I got out of hell before the devil knew I was dead, you know? Growing up with memories of only an abusive childhood home, it's reasonable to conclude that a person would spend a lifetime seeking out toxic relationships. There's a comfort in self-destructive behavior when you're used to being let down. For this caller, the need for control led to what he described as a manifestation of manipulative behavior. Ironically, he always wanted a family. He's finally found it, although with a limited time to live. But before, he wasn't even certain if anyone would show up to his funeral. Thankfully, now he knows for certain that he'll be truly missed. I'm Quick Nick. Thanks for listening. Addicts in the Dark is brought to you in part by Melissa Armstrong Coaching. Check out Melissa Armstrong at www.strongarm.ca. That's www.strongarm.ca.